1: If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Tonight is the final night in the series of Do Hard Things. For the first five weeks, we talked about challenges, five challenges to add to our lives. Do y'all remember what they were? All right they each related to a finger on the hand. Ring finger, go! Get out of your comfort zone. Your comfort zone. Middle finger. Oh, go beyond expectations. Pinky finger. Diligence in small things. The thumb. Collaborate in the pointy finger. Point to truth and stand for truth. Fantastic. Now, to bring a full bookend to the series, we have the event Saturday. Boy, I'm so pumped. (laughs) It's going to be great. Do not come expecting things to be easy. Every game that we do has a challenge. It's going to take teamwork. It's going to take a strategy. But I believe in you guys. And I think that Elevate is going to grow together. I think that we're going to start breaking down some, maybe some circles of people always hanging out with just their friends and start building friendships throughout. And I think seeds are going to be planted Saturday of working together for things to come for years. Because we have leadership within the youth group. We have students here that have a hunger for building a culture of love and teamwork and unity and faith and joy and pouring into what's outside of here. So Saturday is going to be fantastic. I'm excited about it. But I don't want to talk too much longer. I want to get off the stage and turn this over to the people um, that have poured their lives into studying um, other students, teenagers that are changing the world. So I want to welcome to the stage First and foremost, Eliana Bufkin. Come on up. Woo! You got this.
2: Hey, guys. So today I'm going to be talking about a girl named Jamie Coleman. So Jamie is from Pennsylvania, and she's currently 29, but she was 15 whenever she started her project in 2007. So it all started whenever Jamie's church adopted a town in Kenya called Karagoda. The church would share the gospel and help meet the needs of the Kenyan community. After the church had adopted the community, she found out about a critical need in the area, which is shoes. So most of us might take this need for granted because it's something we use every day. With seeing this need, Jamie didn't just leave it alone. She took action. She didn't just say it's someone else's problem. She asked God to use her to meet the need through her. She figured out her family wasn't the only one with shoes they didn't need or didn't wear. She called her project Walk Humbly, based off of Micah 6-8. He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. To do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. Her goal was 150 shoes. Jamie's plan was to kick off the drive at at her high school's track with a barefoot mile. You would bring your shoes to donate and then walk four laps around the track barefoot. Some adults were skeptical of Jamie's drive, questioning if they would get enough shoes or even be able to transport them to Kenya. But it didn't take God long to prove them wrong. There were definitely low expectations, Jamie said. It was discouraging, but I knew God could make it happen. On a rainy Saturday, 50 people showed up at the track with 1,164 pairs of shoes. So... Um, that would be, out of those 50 people, 26 pairs of shoes per person. So by the time the drive was over, God had brought in over 4,200 pairs of shoes for the people of Karagoda. So Jamie's next challenge was getting all of the shoes transported to Kenya, and the task wasn't easy. They had asked a ton of companies before they got a yes. It was a long process, but they were finally able, able to transport the shoes a year later in June of 2008. Jamie and 14 other church members traveled to Kenya to distribute the shoes. During their time there, they met a 90 year old woman named Gladys, and she stood in line with thousands of people to get her shoes. I had given up on putting on another shoe until I die, she had told one of the team members. The last time I wore shoes was five years ago, and my feet can attest to that. And I think we have a picture. Yeah, of her feet. So for someone to think of something like that for us is a great miracle from God. And that's Jamie's story. This can teach us that not only to reach out to those in need, but to be diligent in the smaller task, like Jamie's first goal. It was only to collect 150 pairs of shoes. But because she stayed committed and she trusted God, the outcome was far beyond the goal she had set. And Jamie wasn't seeking attention or any praise for her good deeds, because she just saw a need and asked God for his guidance. And I think it's really cool how God used a 15-year-old girl to give shoes to people who were really in need of them. This story shows how even teens can be used to spread God's word, his love, and his joy to those around us. It doesn't matter our age, our circumstance, or how hard the task might be. God can work through any of us to further his kingdom. Mark 9, 23. Everything is possible for one who believes.
1: Great job. Great job. Anything is possible for one who believes. I love it. All right. Welcome to the stage, our next speaker, Lindsay Laughlin. Come on up.
3: Hi, Elevate. So today, I'm talking about two girls named Leslie and Lauren Rivoli. They're 13 and 16 years old, and they are two normal teenagers just like you and me. The two sisters live in Portland with air conditioner, plenty of food, clean water, and a nice, comfortable house. You know, just like a normal American. One summer, the girls decided to go to a camp for missionaries designed for refugees. The camp wasn't your typical summer camp, though. This camp taught Leslie, Lauren, and the other campers how to live in a third-world country as a refugee. They were awoken on their first night at 5 a.m. to escape a fake fire. It was a drill, but from then on, they had to scavenge for their food and built their own shelters out of tarp and cardboard to sleep in. I don't know about y'all, but that doesn't sound comfortable to me. On their last half a day at the camp, they were handed out replicas of the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. They only had in them a water bottle, a toothbrush, and a bar of soap, but the girls said we had never been so thankful to brush our teeth. They were so grateful. After going a day and a half without what we call common necessities, When they got back to their normal American life, it felt different. Leslie and Lauren said God was stirring in our hearts and it was a movement we couldn't ignore. The girls started noticing things they didn't notice before. People. There were people just like the refugees living in Portland. They were living under bridges and eating out of dumpsters. Leslie and Lauren knew they wanted to work to change this, or at least help, but what could they do? They were just teenagers. But that didn't stop them. After talking with their parents and... With their parents the sisters started what they call h2o hope to others they put together bags inside these h2o bags were non-perishable food items like water bottles granola bars socks and a gospel track once a month leslie and lauren would have stuffing parties and then have the bags available at their church each bag would cost three dollars each and they were designed to keep in your car for when you see a homeless person while driving they said the bags had two goals Feeding the homeless with food and the good news of Jesus. Eventually, H2O bags started spreading further than their church. They sold over 500 bags and had been featured in their state's largest newspaper. Doug Hazen, the director of their missionary camp, was so impressed by the outreach that they invited them to speak at the missionary at the missions banquet. Later, the girls even started handing out CDs about how to start your own ministry like H2O. Even with all their success. There is still discouragement at times, but they said that God always sent them encouragement from people who have been impacted by the ministry. Leslie and Lauren said that their favorite story to share is that when they, is when they handed a bag to a homeless lady and got to watch her open it while waiting at a red light. She pulled out a granola bar and the gospel track and she was reading it. Leslie and Lauren were so happy, they started dancing in their car. As they drove off, she was still reading the track. H2O started with two teenage sisters with a passion to simply help others. They are no different from you or the person right next to you. A quote from Leslie is, Nothing is impossible with God. If you have a passion or a desire to do something for God, don't say it's impossible and close the door with doubt or fear. God can do it, and he may do it through you. Don't underestimate him. He can far exceed your expectations. I know that because he has done it for me.
1: That was awesome. I had a teacher who used to say, you don't have to do everything, just do something. And that's exactly what she did. All right, please welcome to the stage, Erica Hutchinson. Woo!
4: (laughs) So today I'm going to be talking about a girl named Gabby Frost. And Gabby Frost is just 14. And, well, today she's 21. But when she was 14, she went to school and she was just talking to her friends and they were like, all, I don't know how this came up in discussion, but they were talking about how, wait, wait, but they were talking about how they were so depressed and that they wanted to kill themselves. So like, you know, and it's like funny because nowadays this, people talk about this a lot as like jokes, but it's true. They actually feel like this and people just brush it off. So Gabby went home and she prayed and then, you know, she just went on social media and she went on Twitter And she just, and she saw so many other girls and, like, boys saying they want to kill themselves because they're so depressed. So she just prayed, and she was like, how can, like, Christians really just affect all these people that just really need God in their lives and just, like, just, like, feel so, like, empty and just, like, cry themselves to sleep every night because they want to die. And um, so she went on her phone, and she just created this website called The Buddy Project, and the Buddy Projects helps, like, lets Christians come and talk to people who really just need, just to, who can't really afford therapy and just just needs to be talked, like, you know. And um, they just were, just to help pray with them and just say, like, God loves you, not, don't say that nobody loves you in this world because God does love you. And suicide is not an option because, Remember that there is always someone loving you, even though if your parents feel like just like bring you down, your friends aren't like you maybe you don't have friends, you feel like the loner in the room, and it's like so she just wanted to create the buddy project to help Christians um reach out to people if they can't afford to go on mission trips and it's like so she went to school and she was just her friends were saying how they went all on the buddy project and talked to some Christians. And now they feel, like, so much, like, so more full inside. And they've been going to more church, they've been going to church, and they don't feel depressed, and they don't really want to do suicide anymore. So she now gets a lot of emails and text messages from lots of people who say, like, who wanted to do suicide, who want to kill themselves. And these are not from, like, ad- adults. It's, like, from teenagers who, like tw- like, my age, too, who just want to kill themselves at such a young age. And so now she gets so many people saying, oh, I don't want to kill myself anymore just because of your website that she did when she was 14 years old. So now she's 21 years old, and she has saved so many lives from what she did at 1 a.m. On at 14 years old at, like, such a young age and didn't even have to leave her, ph- her home and just did it from her, her phone. Thank you.
1: Great job. Thank you so much. The next one. Difference. 14. All right. Are you guys ready for the next one? All right. We've had a lot of wonderful ladies. You ready for our first guy of the night? Yeah. All right. Aiden Dishman, come on up. Woo! There he is.
5: And it's right up here. All right. So, what's up, Leo? All right. So, I'm going to be doing honor, the teenager who changed the world. So as the world revolves today, people throw around the word hero. Nowadays, if you can play five chords on a guitar, you are a guitar hero. If you can make a shot or score a basket, you are a hero. So what really is a hero? One definition of a hero is a person who is in the face of danger and combats adversity through impressive feats of ingenuity, bravery, or strength, often sacrificing his or her concerns for some greater good. This is a pretty good definition of a hero. Well, there is a story about an over father, a spoiled son, some jealous brothers, and in an international food crisis. This guy is known as the teenager who changed the world. I'm talking about Joseph. Joseph, against all odds, overcame everything thrown in his way. And as you look at his life, you see that he was actually the definition of a hero. God placed him in a place where he was loved and cared for, but he had many jealous brothers, so they threw him into slavery. Through Joseph's Joseph's actions, God showed Joseph favor and Joseph, Joseph, Joseph became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Joseph was a hero who saved a family and created a nation and became a blessing to all of Israel. You see, Joseph wasn't just a world changer, but he was a world saver. Because of the decisions he made, thousands of people's lives were changed and saved. So if you want to become a world changer, you need to be a man or a woman of faith. If you shouldn't talk about faith, you shouldn't just talk about faith. You need to use your faith. Also, if you look at other world changers, many of them struggle with doubt. If you look into Joseph's Joseph's life, you can find out, you cannot find a single shade of doubt. All Joseph was, was a little shepherd boy and was the second to youngest in his family. He was spoiled and treated amazingly by his dad, which influenced influences other brothers' jealousy. One lesson you could learn from Joseph is to forgive others that have hurt you. There, There is not another example of forgiveness as great as all this in all the Bible except for Jesus. All this forgiveness came from a little shepherd who was thrown into slavery by his own brothers. So I have a question for y'all. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt in any way by somebody, like, insulting you or, like, anything like that. Raise your hands. Alright. So... So if you did not raise your hand, you're probably lying, or you're an extremely likable person. And you see, Joseph was hurt, hurt far worse than any of you were here tonight. And still, he overcame adversity by forgiving his brothers for the terrors they did to him when he had the power to throw them all in jail. Through all that happened to Joseph, Joseph was able to show forgiveness to tell his and tell his brothers that it was not them who sent them there, but God. Throughout God's life, he was a hero. Throughout Joseph's life. He was a hero, and he changed the world, showing God's love and forgiveness. So I have a question for you. Are you willing to be a teenager who forgives and changes the lives of others around you?
1: That was fantastic. I love the way you work in questions. So engaging. Well done, sir. Boy, Joseph just kept showing up every day, didn't he? He just kept plodding forward. Man. All right, for our next speaker, please give a big hand to Callie Izzell. Come on up.
0: Okay. Hi. Um. So I'm going to start off with a question. Um, what is your favorite song or phrase? You just blurt it out. Um okay, now how does it make you feel after you hear after you hear it? Okay, so most of y'all happy. Um, okay, now I'm gonna tell you about a girl named Kelly Fleming. Kelly Fleming was a seventeen year old girl and her, her family moved to Little Town from Phoenix, Arizona. Her family Don said her father Don said that they kept looking for a good neighborhood where their daughters could be safe. And build a life for themselves. In the next two months, she would have friends be she would have friends be in multiple clubs at her school and be at our local church. Kelly was shy, but she was a creative girl who loved God and wanted to be a good leader in Christ. Her friends said that she was an aspiring songwriter and author who lo- who wrote many poems and short stories based on her life experiences. She often went to to. Columbine's library to write her stories and they often had happy endings. One day she stopped to be, she hoped to be public, a published author and become a famous songwriter. On the day April 20th, 1999 Kelly was, a, was at the library and suddenly was instructed to hide under a table. She heard gunshots outside the library windows and but she didn't think it would be two boys with loaded guns in trench coats. Kelly was Hiding beside table a table in other with other girls, however due to lack of hiding space she was partially visible shooters the shoot the two shooters barged in at the library at one point Dylan last name fired under a, under a table injuring two people Dylan fired his gun again killing a girl named Lauren, one of Kelly's best friends. Then the shoot, and one of Kelly's best friends. Then the shooters started asking the question, "Do you believe in God?" One of the shooters named Jenna Park, one of the survivors <laughs> named Jenna Park was hiding with Kelly and she said she could hear her whispering and almost like singing about God and praying for and she was praying for Eric and Dylan. She was praying for the two active shooters that would later kill her in the back. The shooters then moved away from Kelly's table, moving to another table where they shot Nicole Nolan and killed John Tomlin. After coming back from the girls' table, Kelly looked up and she could see Eric pointing his gun at one of her best new friends. And and then she moved in front of her, blocking the bullet from hitting her friend and she was shot in the back, almost hitting where her her vocal cords were, where she was most known. It's through God's power that she could have the courage to risk her life for a friend. Even though Kelly never got the chance to live in New York and become a famous songwriter and author, her family has donated her books and songs to the school in memory of her. Of course, I didn't know her, but her story checks out, and she made me think about some things life is short and we can't waste it on your phone or stupid little things that we might think are good for us like instagram or tiktok because it won't get you to the greatest place in the universe and no i'm not talking about disneyland i'm talking about heaven enjoy life because it won't be what it is now later on doing the little things can make a huge huge difference even posting a bible verse and can change someone's life and attitude towards other people and towards their day. Because followers are not on your side, and they just like, they just may like the photo of your lunch or whatever you post. And it might be tough, but all you need to know is that the one person who needs to be on your side is God. And you need to be on His side too. So please, read your Bible and do hard things, because you might not get the chance to later on. My question is, to you, if something happened to you, where where would you go? Heaven or hell? Think about your life decisions and actions and change them for the better. <laughs> <clears throat> well
1: <laughs> Praying for the shooters. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. What is that? I, I think that only a heart after the heart of God could love someone's enemy. Someone who had prayed the very prayer that Callie is talking about. Thank you, Callie, so much. All right, to wrap up our night, I want to introduce our last speaker, another amazing gentleman, another Dishman. Give it up for Eli Dishman! woo
6: Leo. <laughs> yeah. So my thing is on the revolution of Alex and Brett Harris, who were the, um, the actual founders of Do Hard Things, which the whole series has been on. So it all began in the summer of 2005. Alex and Brett, in previous years, were largely involved in speech and debate during the summers. But this year, they, did stop, d- they decided to stop doing speech and debate and move on to something else After countless ideas and brainstorms of what to do, nothing really worked out, and they mainly just burned time. You know, the typical, video games, sports, and eat lots of pizza. Then their dad took charge and put them on two intense reading programs, where they read books on countless subjects like history, theology, sociology, science, business, journalism, and globalization. My mom told me I'd read that, I'd cry. (laughs) So the rest of their summer, they read nonstop, breaking the expectations of many parents and kids, as they seemed to persevere through a challenging amount of reading. As they read through the books, though, Alex and Brett described their thoughts about the books as exciting and troubling thoughts about a rapidly changing world and our generation's place in it. So they started to start a blog and share their thoughts and ideas on what they were reading. They decided to name their blog The Revolution. (laughs) The purpose, they said, of The Revolution is to rebel against low expectations against teenagers. In the coming years following their blog, it became the most popular Christian teen blog on the web. As they began to post in their blog and write about how they felt the teen years should be, they began to realize many kids were trapped in the stereotype the world put on them. Alex and Brett began to share their thoughts on the myth of adolescence. They began to speak out against complacency in the teen years, making it the best and most critical years in your life. After the blog was open for three weeks, the New York Daily Times wrote a feature column about the blog. The headline was, Think Big. <laughs> High school twins tell peers. Alex and Brett told the columnists that teenage years are not a vacation from responsibility. They're a training ground of future leaders who dare to be responsible now. As more and more revolutionaries began to join join in on this idea of what Alex and Brett were spreading, many people began to ask, what's next? In October of 2005, Alex and Brett were invited to apply for an internship at the Alabama Supreme Court. This opportunity was incredible as they were only 16, and typically these internships were reserved for the top-of-the-class college law students. It's pretty crazy. Imagine being 16 and going to, like, this high-up official internship, and, like, everybody's like, and who are you? And like, uh, okay. Anyway, Alex and Brett are ready to make a statement to all teenagers that anything was possible. They both applied for the internship, and a month later were accepted for a two-month internship. Starting off, they were terrified, being the youngest two interns in Alabama Supreme Court history and possibly in the whole nation. They would be able to either show that teenagers have potential or everything society has degraded them to. After countless trips to the store for suits and making living arrangements that were on their way, this was their moment. This is what they had lived for, the pinnacle of the revolution. They had been blogging constantly with the teenage community, sharing their fears and what they were excited about. From the beginning, Alex and Brett were considered to be just like everyone else. There was no special treatment or forgiveness. They were trusted with the small jobs at first, like making photocopies, picking up the mail, and organizing papers. As they did each job well, they were trusted with more responsibility. By the end of the two months, they were accompanying Justice Parker, who they worked for, to prestigious events and gatherings. Also, they were writing their own opinions in the Justice Parker's messages to other justices. So, this 16-year-old is writing to all these other people about what they believe should be going on in the world. And these other people think it's just justice. So it's like if Pastor Clyde, for y'all who go to Living Word, like well-respected, tons of wisdom. I wish I could be like him. It'd be like if this 16-year-old was sitting there and being like, hey, Pastor Clyde, this is what I think. And he was like, boom, you got it. That's amazing. Write it to everybody else. And like just completely trusting you, which is crazy as a teenager to imagine. But they had their revolution and said teenagers have unlimited potential. um, after After the two months they had experienced their own revolution, they had proven that teenage years had unlimited potential and shouldn't be wasted. That's when the next door opened, and they were given their new jobs as grassroots directors for four simultaneous statewide campaigns for the Alabama Supreme Court, including Justice Parker's run for chief justice. As grassroots directors, Alex and Brett were over hundreds of teenagers and traveled from county to county in Alabama campaigning for their candidates. They were ready to take the revolution movement to the next level. As more and more teenagers wanted to be a part of the movement, they joined the campaign and began to design websites, coordinated television coverage, used advanced mapping software to create driving routes for literature drops, and coordinated housing and meals for out-of-state volunteers. At the end of the campaign, teenagers had put thousands of hours into the campaign into the campaign and it put together the largest grassroots operation ever in Alabama state history. So they set records as teenagers. They beat what everybody else expected and then they said, but also, we're not just, you know, 30-year-old people, we're teenagers. <laughs> just what we do on the side, you know. Although there were many challenges and doubts that faced Alex and Brett, they fought through them and made a statement for all teenagers. They described their time as grassroots directors. They said, With every challenge, our entire team discovered new opportunities to learn, laugh, and sometimes start over. We also made discoveries about ourselves as individuals. A campaign, like any movement or revolution, isn't a faceless mass. It's a collection of individuals who join together on the same cause for a reason. It's ordinary people who decide to step out and be a part of something big. That's when they become extraordinary. After the campaign, many people asked Alex and Brett, did they win? And sadly, all of their candidates lost. But not long after the campaign ended, an article came out that Alabama judicial races had reached an all-time high of $15 million in spending, while Alex and Brett's four candidates together only spent $500,000. So maybe the unprecedented amount of spending was because it took a lot of money to be driven teenagers. After the campaign, many pe- oh, not where that, when they arrived back from Alabama, they were focused on their online community that had continued to grow, and they began to take the blog to the next level and launch a website. They quickly hired friends and fellow teenagers who f- who, to begin the work of coding, design, compatibility, and brainstorming new ideas to involve in the website. The final design involved a completely new look. The website had featured discussion questions and links to hundreds of articles by great authors on teenage potential. On August 28, 2006, the website launched on the anniversary of the Revolution blog. The website went from 2,200 views a day to 12,800 views in one day, a 480% increase for all you math geeks out there. (laughs) This went from a day-to-day group to a whole online community. Alex and Brett wrote the book two years after their dad dropped the intense reading plan on their desk. Since then, they have done many hard things, along with beginning what God was working on in their lives. They have held countless revolution conferences in America, along with some in Japan, Alex and Brett hope not to glorify their name, but to glorify God, who is the one who truly is changing the lives of teenagers and reforming them from complacency complacency to compassionate courage in your life. So will you stay complacent in the stereotype that society has put on you, or will you join the movement to put God's name on a pedestal upheld by Christian teenagers?
1: Elevate. Give all of them big hands. Come on. They did great. That was awesome. Come on. More than that. Come on. They did fantastic. Man. Thank you, everyone who spoke tonight. I hope a takeaway, if it isn't obvious already, is whether you're giving someone a granola bar for Jesus or whether you're spearheading a political campaign or something in between. Whether it's shoes or being faithful in the worst possible situations, like Joseph was, God has a calling, and so we're gonna we're gonna break out into e groups tonight. E group leaders, the questions are in GroupMe. Pat's and mine that are in there, and I want to talk about hard things, but I don't want you to just focus on crossing oceans or focus on running huge nonprofits. Also, consider what are the hard things that God be calling you to do in your life, in your circumstances, in your world. Just like it was said last week, sometimes the hardest thing God is calling us to do is just to be where he put us in the circumstances that we're in. Thank you, Elevate. Thank you for teaching me so much over these past weeks. I'm inspired. And I believe that you inspired your friends too and those who are online listening.
0: Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students... 7th through 12th grades are welcome.